real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today learned during his extensive travels teaching around the world that he noticed success has left clues everywhere. These are insights that people like himself have come to learn through experience and trial and error that they now pass on to those who follow, allowing others to bypass obstacles and obtain results sooner. Welcome to the show, Robert Riopel. Hey, Sarah. Great to be here and feeling blessed to be able to help an audience, especially of entrepreneurs, in any way I can. Well, awesome. Well, can you give us a little bit of your background history? And I'm curious to hear more about these travels and about what you mean by success left clues everywhere, because you have a book also called Success Left a Clue. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious to hear more about what that means exactly. First of all, I became an entrepreneur almost by stumbling into it. It wasn't supposed to be because where I grew up, I was taught, here's the box. Don't even think about the box and don't question the box and just you don't do the way things are supposed to be. And growing up, one of the things in working it was when it comes to work, you find a job that's secure if there's such a thing. And if it's paying you a wage, even if you don't like it, you do it to support your family. And by the age of 21, all of a sudden I'm being laid off from the third job because they're shutting the factory down. And I'm going, I'm working hard. I'm staying loyal, but something's not working here. And here in Alberta, at the time we were in the middle of an oil bust, something that you understand in Texas more than other people do, because when oil prices are down, the economy doesn't do well. And I couldn't find another real job by my definition. So to support my family, I decided to do something until I found another job and I started delivering pizzas and I started delivering for Domino's pizza. I know no one's ever heard of them. And from, because of my work ethic, I went from being a delivery driver to actually becoming a manager. My wife became my assistant. Next thing you know, we're working open to close seven days a week and a year and a half in, we were faced with that dilemma that our franchisee decided he didn't want to be in Domino's pizza anymore. And he was selling his two stores and it was like, uh Oh, we're about to be laid off again. And I went, kind of went into panic mode. And I don't know how much you know about Domino's Pizza, Sarah, but you actually can't just buy a franchise. You actually have to qualify first by being a manager for at least a year and successfully meet a bunch of criteria. And so my wife and I were actually qualified to be franchisees, which would mean they would waive the upfront franchise fee, but you still had to have money to buy or build. And so I'm thinking, my natural way of thinking is, we're gonna have to find another franchisee, find out who needs a manager, get a new job. And my wife's like, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy this store? And I'm looking at her and I'm like, cause we don't have any money. That's why we don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, I am so blessed to have my wife because we met when we were 13. We started dating when we were 16. 
We got married when we were 19 and we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. And please don't do the math of how old I am. Here I am. I'm the in the box thinker. But to my wife, it's like, what box are you talking about? There's no such thing as a box. She said, let's figure out a way to do it. And so we started making a lot of mistakes, figuring out how do you buy a business if you don't have money? But every time we made a mistake, we actually learned something. And eventually after about four months, we now knew what to say and what not to say. When we were introduced to our own bank manager for business accounts, and when we were able to finally get a meeting with him, we were able to sit down, we knew what to say, what not to say, and he didn't give us the financing for our store. He actually gave us 100% financing for both the stores my franchisee had for sale. And next thing you know, we're franchisees. And it's like, oh, we've got it made. But here's the problem. We knew how to run a Domino's pizza, but we didn't know how to run a business. And I think you know, Sarah, there's a big difference right there. And in our first couple of years, it was our whole working mindset was if there's money in that bank, we must be doing okay. Because we didn't think we could afford to hire an accountant. We thought we'd do it on our own right? You talk about being a frugalpreneur is like, we can figure it out. We'll do it on our own. The fact that we're working 80 hours a week in the store and we'll do our accounting as well. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> and a couple of years in when the, because of we're now behind on paperwork and the government's like knocking on the door, hello, we've had to hire an accountant. They got everything straightened out and caught up. And all of a sudden they're looking at us going, how did you guys figure, how did you make it? There's no way you should have survived and been able to stay in business these last two years. But at least at that point, ignorance was bliss. <laughs> we didn't know what we didn't know, and we were just too tenacious to quit. We made it work. And once we had our numbers in place, we started understanding it, and we started doing better, and we started making some money. But then we did something that, and I, I'm probably going to shock you, Sarah, because we did something that probably no one else you've ever known has ever done. I hope you're ready, because I don't want to shock you too bad. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. We started spending more money than we were earning. I know, right? <laughs> no one's ever done that before. <laughs> and by we were franchisees for eight years, we're now actually over $150,000 in personal debt and going down quickly. And that's when we were introduced to personal development. And we ended up doing a three-day training that taught us, A, why were we spending money the way we were? Why weren't we managing it, but how to manage it? More importantly, it taught us to take responsibility. See, we, I was good at blaming other people. Well, they lost my investment or because of them, I lost money. And the moment we learned to take responsibility ourselves, we were then open to, okay, how, if we want to get out of debt, how do we do it? And when we left that training, we decided we had to put things into action. And step number three of my book of success left a clue is you must take action. That's what separates success from non-success. And we put it, things into action that we'd learned that weekend. And next thing you know, we were able to go from being the $150,000 in debt to actually retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32. We're <laughs> like, that worked. If this much information gave us that result, what would more learning do? And we became super learners. We wanted to learn from everybody we could because I'm also a big believer. Don't just learn one way. Don't just learn from one person. And while we were on that learning journey, I realized my passion. My passion was to teach others. Because I felt that if I could even help one person do what we had been able to do, it'd make it all worthwhile. And so now the last 18 and a half years plus, I've been blessed to travel around the world. And I've personally trained over half a million people around the world in about 30 different countries, living my passion. And while I've been doing that, I've been blessed to share the stage with a lot of the greatest thought leaders in the world. 
and I'm watching successful people and I started noticing the differences between success and not. And I just decided to call them clues. And that's when I decided to put them together in a book. And these are clues that if you utilize them, you can have an amazing life. You can design the life that you want. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Oh, wow. That's quite the story. So I'm curious about the different types of clues. Can you maybe go into, without giving the whole book away, of course, some things oh, no, that you absolutely. Go <laughs> the book has six specific steps that a person can take to design their ideal life. And mixed in there, I give a lot of clues. And that's why on the front, I'm known for on the stage giving clues. That's why I have my hands up. It's like, I'll have my audience go, give us a clue. And when they do that, I'll give them a clue like, well, here's one. Have you noticed that when people learn a system, especially entrepreneurs, they learn a system, but then their mind automatically goes, I have to do it my way. I have to reinvent this wheel. And they wonder why they struggle. So the one clue is if you're going to reinvent the wheel, do it later, do it later, use the system, get the success first. And then once you have the success, if you still want to reinvent the wheel, go ahead and reinvent it. Cause at least you have the success. And instead of trying to reinvent it first and then struggle all the way through. So that's an example of a clue. And a big one of that is my wife and I, in the last year of being Domino's pizza franchisees, one of our specialties is we were traveling around Canada and into parts of the United States where we'd go into stores that were bankrupt or about to go bankrupt within three months, we'd retrain the staff. We were walking out the door. And the store sales and profits were going up by over 100%. And people were like, how are you guys doing that? They thought we were brilliant. And really, all we were doing is going in, getting rid of all the crap that was not the Domino's Pizza system because the new franchisee or the manager wanted to do it their way. So they started adding a bunch of things and wondering why their sales and that went down. So we'd go in and get rid of all the stuff that wasn't the system, bring the store back and train everybody on the actual system of Domino's Pizza and all of a sudden sales, profits magically would go up and we looked like rock stars. <laughs> so that's how powerful <laughs> following systems are, especially in business, especially in business. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I think so many people like the whole reinventing the wheel. They might have a good idea of how to change something, but if they don't have any success yet or money or whatever, it's going to be really difficult to reinvent the wheel instead of working on the wheel that maybe already exists. And then once you build up either experience or money or whatever, then maybe you can think about reinventing. Well, yeah. And because one of the traps a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is they think they're an entrepreneur, but they've just bought themselves a job because they got tired of their old boss and they, then they hate the new boss, which is themselves. And because they get so caught up working in that business, they forget to work on it. You know, and I love a book I'm restudying again right now is E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Because when you learn about actually work on your business, even take a little bit of time and start to systemize everything. If you do that, then that's how you're going to be able to, and you can do it on that shoestring budget. Look, when we bought our Domino's pizzas, it took every penny we had just to keep them running. There was a lot of nights we actually slept at the store underneath our ovens on hot bags because we didn't have enough fuel to go home and back. I remember the one time Domino's pizza changed their look and we had a certain amount of time to update the looks of our stores. And while a lot of the other franchisees were hiring contractors to do it, we're like, we can't afford to do that. So we'd work to midnight or one o'clock in the morning, shut the store down, pull out the ladders, and we'd work on the store painting and changing and constructing till eight or nine in the morning. 
we would then get a couple hours sleep and start all again at three o'clock in the afternoon and do it all over again, day after day after day, because we just didn't have the money to try and upgrade and to do what they wanted us to do. And they weren't going to accept excuses that we couldn't afford it. We had to figure it out. Right. And so a lot of, I've noticed entrepreneurs nowadays, they get so caught up in trying to that they have to do it their way or another way that if they just find a simple system, model it, work step-by-step, step, work on really systemizing the business so it can work without them so they can remove themselves from the equation. And what's really kind of cool is if you do this, it opens up a lot of options. And what I mean by that is if you can systemize your business and you can make it profitable by being systemized, you can now either turn it into your own passive income where you can be there when you want to or not because it's still making a profit without you and you can do another business and redo it again or there's companies out there that are actually looking for profitable systemized businesses and they're willing to pay millions and billions of dollars for them. And a truth I love to teach entrepreneurs is if you start your business with the intention, I'm going to sell it, you're going to start systemizing it right away. That is the key. And every business I start today or I take over, my intention is I'm buying or starting this business with the intention of selling it because you can make good money owning and operating a business, but you can actually make more money selling your business. And once you've learned how to do it once, rinse and repeat for those that have hair. I don't have to worry about that part. <laughs> I'm curious to hear more about that process of selling a business. Can you give us some examples of times that you've sold a business and things to think about or even look out for? Or how do you know when it's the right time or the right deal, I guess, to sell it? Yeah. And, and I'll use the example of the two last two stores we sold. The first one we sold under duress. We were stressed out beyond the belief. We we're deep in debt and we felt we had to sell the business. And of the two stores that we had at the time, we wanted to sell one store that was in British Columbia because it was not as profitable as our store in Alberta. But the problem was where our store was in Alberta, the only way you could expand in that area was by buying existing stores. So people wanted that store. The other store that was in British Columbia, if you bought it, there was really nowhere to expand for you afterwards. So you're kind of limited to that store. So no one wanted this store. And so the, even though we didn't want to sell the profitable store, we felt we had to, we were in that position, our mindset of, of stress. And if you ever noticed that when someone's desperate, other people can sense it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden this gentleman, he's like, okay, I'll buy the store. And he knew we were desperate. And originally I, I used to say he took advantage of us. But now I, again, I own it that I allowed him to take advantage of us because all of a sudden the price would go down. There would be a delay in the possession date. He wanted to refinance. All of a sudden it came down to where we actually financed the whole purchase where he was paying us monthly payments instead of a lump sum, which didn't help us at all. But that was the only way we felt we could do it. So the mindset was really stressed out. I do not recommend selling a business when you're in that kind of position. Now, from that, that was in January of 2001, we sold that store. The second store, all of a sudden, we now were introduced to the personal development and our mindset changed. And the first thing we realized was one of the reasons we were struggling is we had not systemized our stores. We had management in place, but if we weren't there, they didn't run it properly because we didn't systemize. And so when we came, started learning these things, we went into the store with a whole new attitude. And our attitude was this store, if we keep it, not a problem because we're going to put it up for sale. 
And if someone wants it, they want it and they'll pay our price. There'll you know, be a totally different energy. If they don't, we'll keep it because as we systemized it, it was now running profitably without us. And so first thing you want to do is you don't want to make a buying decision or a selling decision out of duress and need. So don't even consider it unless you've systemized your business. Because as we did that, also now the store is running smoothly. My wife and I aren't in it anymore. And out of nowhere, it's amazing how times three people wanted our store. Out of the, and this is just a year later where no one wanted it a year before. Now three people did. And here was the difference our mindset created. We went to the first person and we said, look, you came to us first. So we're going to deal with you. We'll tell you the good. We'll tell you the bad. We'll tell you the ugly. See, I'm, I'm very big on being very upfront. I'm not going to try and hide things. And I'd watched a lot of stores in Domino's Pizza get sold where the franchisee didn't tell the new franchisee something that was underlying, right? So I said, I'm going to tell you everything. Here's the price, non-negotiable. Here's the possession date, non-negotiable. And as long as you meet up with your end of the deal, everything will go through. The moment you don't, no hard feelings, but our deal's done. I'm going to go to the next person line. Are you agreeable with that? And the guy's like, yep, absolutely. I'm on board. Thank you so much. And everything was going smooth until he was supposed to put down a non-refundable deposit of $5,000. And my wife and I are waiting for him at a coffee shop. He doesn't show up. And we're like, what's going on? We phone him, Eric, what's happening? Now in this moment, and this is the big problem that business owners have, if we wavered, that was on us. And so we said to him, we said, look, have we been clear with you? Yes. Have we told you everything? Yes. Well, you're not here. The deal's done. And we hung up the phone. And my wife and I are like, we've worked on this for the last few months, but we had to hold to our word. See, that energy is more important than knowing when to sell or not to sell, in my opinion. Mm. Within two minutes, he's phoning back saying, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm on my way. Now, again, we could have gone, okay, great. Let's continue. But see, we had told them the deal was off. And I don't know where it came from. But my wife goes, tell him the price just went up five grand. I'm like, I can't tell him that. She says, tell him. So I'm like, okay, Eric, here's the deal. The price just went up five grand. If you want to continue the deal and you have two hours to decide, click. I hung up the phone. I'm like, what did we just do? And she's like, I don't know. I just had to do it, right? Because we have to own our power. This was new to us. He phoned back within a couple minutes. He's like, I agreed to the new terms. I'm on my way down with a deposit check. And he met us and the rest of it went seamlessly smooth. And to me, the difference was not about the deal and knowing when to do it. It was who were we? Who were we as the ones putting the deal forward? And in small businesses, that's the big problem. See, there's tons of buyers out there waiting because what people don't realize is larger corporations. Why do you think Facebook and Google pay billions of dollars for other companies? They need it as part of their tax write-offs. They're going to spend that money on taxes anyway, so they might as well acquire another business, another arm that's going to make them more money. See? And that's what there's companies that are looking for other systemized companies in alignment with them. And that's why they're willing. If you can sit there and show that my business is making X number of dollars, they'll pay the 10 times, 20 times, whatever price because they're not looking for it as a big money maker. They just need to add it and get a little profit out of it. And as long as it makes sense on their end, they're going to spend the money because it saves them in taxes, gives them more options and grows their business for their investors to be more valuable. So it becomes a win-win situation. Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't really thought about that before, but I imagine there's some people out there who create businesses with that goal or intention in mind as to 
sell it and maybe yeah, they absolutely. have a particular buyer in mind even but yeah so uh, are you familiar with clubhouse absolutely okay yeah i think if i'm correct i think facebook offered to buy them and they said no but now facebook and twitter and spotify and all these other places are coming out with something similar so it's like part of me is thinking oh they probably should have sold it before people started doing knockoffs but i don't know well and, and that is and see and that's where overthinking can really overthinking and greediness can get in the way you're absolutely right because if you take a look at it before facebook live do you even remember the name of the app that was out that people were using to do live streaming like facebook live and I, there was a, oh, the name will come to me when I quit thinking about it. And all of a sudden Facebook went, oh, that seems to be working and you're getting lots of followers. We'll do our own version. And Facebook Live quickly collapsed them because they didn't keep up with it. But also the opposite is true. Is And you take a look at the history of Netflix. They actually, when they started up, they went to Blockbuster Video and they said to Blockbuster, here's what we're doing and we are in alignment with you. We're just looking for a buyout of a million dollars. And Blockbuster looked at him and said, no, that's not the future. Forget it. A few years later, Blockbuster goes bankrupt. And where's Netflix today? <laughs> right? So mm. if you try to overthink about it, though, Sarah, you're going to stress. It comes down to trusting you. Who are you as the person? I'm writing my new book called The Authority Key. And in The Authority Key, there's easy ways to teach people, you know, be a podcast host that elevates you as an authority, write a book that'll help you become an authority. There's all the practical skills, but what most people don't learn and what I'm really diving into is who are you as the person to be able to not only become the authority, but have the confidence to maintain that and the success that comes with it. See, you've got to be someone that can handle that. Otherwise you'll self-sabotage or you'll implode or you'll make the wrong decisions and sell at the wrong time or not sell at all. See, so it, it, skills are one thing, but if you work on you, who you are, that's going to make all the difference in the world. Most people think themselves out of success. And so it's constantly, and that's why even today, I will never quit working on me. I will never quit growing who I am because the moment I think I know it all, I'm done. I'm done. So I'm always going to continue to be a student. And so as a business owner, don't think you have to know everything. Don't think you have to know that I, I got to know the right time to sell or what if I make a mistake? You're going to make mistakes. Be okay with that. Plain and simple. And just trust yourself that you can handle what comes along if and when it does. Yeah, I was going to ask about your new book. So one of the things in the new book that you talk about are the four phases of life and the four currencies. I'd love mm -hmm. to hear more about that. That's kind of intriguing. Let's start with the four phases then. The four phases of life, and I love acronyms because I tried this accent earlier. It didn't work, especially with the person in Texas. He said, here's a Canadian trying an Alabama accent, but my four is gone. I'm not <laughs> a smart man. <laughs> so I like acronyms because I like to keep it simple. And I use the acronym of OPEN for the four phases. And when, what people, well, I want them to understand is we're going through these phases all the time. You have no control when you enter or exit or how long you're in each phase. But if you understand the phase, you can utilize the phase and you can flow through life. And it's based on information that a friend of mine developed. I gave him a nickname years ago. I call him the quantum monk because not only was he actually a monk for eight years, 
and did over 15,000 hours of meditation. He also loves to study quantum physics. So he can tell you all about spirituality and then the science behind it. The man is brilliant. The O stands for the observation phase. When you're in the observation phase, this is where you're thinking about who would I like to be? What would I like to accomplish? What would I like my business to look like? So this is the time you meditate. This is the time you have vision boards, dream boards. It's not about how will I make it happen? What's all the steps? It's just dreaming. What would I love to have my life be like? And then from there, you go into what's called the pamper phase. The P stands for pamper. And this is the phase that most entrepreneurs ignore or don't think they can do. See, there's a big saying that says you cannot give what you don't have. And most entrepreneurs are, they work, 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 and they forget to take care of themselves and they wonder why they burn out. And I know you can't relate to that whatsoever, right, Sarah? I get it. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get a smile on that one. And so in the pamper phase, when you enter this phase, this is the time you book or go on a vacation, get a massage, get a manicure, a pedicure, maybe take 20 minutes to read a book. If you enjoy reading, I'll take my phone and I love the app calm. I love the sound of rain. So even just before this interview, I took 25 minutes. I just put my earbuds in laid back and listened to rain for 25 minutes to calm, quiet my mind and just rejuvenate myself. See, when you don't take care of yourself, that's when you burn out. That's when you get overwhelmed. That's when you start, you can't come in at hundred percent focus. So it takes you two, three, four times longer to do things. And that's what I see with most entrepreneurs. They think they have to push through it, push hard, and they forget to take care of themselves. And one of the things I do, it's so important. You've heard the saying in money, wealth rule number one, pay yourself first. And so here's the question. If that's important for money, why wouldn't you do the same thing for your time? Why wouldn't you pay yourself first for your time? So when my wife and I sit down and do our calendar, cause we live on our calendars. And the first thing we put on those calendars before anything else is we put in our balance pieces, time together, time for ourselves, family, health, whatever it is that allows us to rejuvenate. That goes on our calendar first, not at the end. If there's time left over, we put that on there first. And so the pamper phase allows you to then fully utilize the third phase, which is called the energy phase. This is the get it done phase. Like today, as an example, today is a full on energy phase day for me. My first interview started at 5 AM my time this morning. And I won't finish up. I've got some power mentoring calls with students in the Philippines right after our interview. And I won't finish it until about 8.30 my time tonight. So including having to be ready and time up and wind down time, I'm putting in a 17 plus hour day today. Now, am I going to be tired at the end? Yes. But am I going to be burnt out and wasted? No, because I have the pampering phase and I make sure I take care of myself. And when it comes to the energy phase, a lot of entrepreneurs their excuse or what they come up with is, but I'm so busy. I don't have time to do extra stuff. I've got my business. I've got a family and I'm just busy. And what I've realized and I've noticed is that people are really, really good at being busy, but they're not necessarily productive. And again, that's a world of difference right there. So the second thing I put on my phone after I put the balance pieces in for pampering, I put in focus time because one hour, Let's take into example, writing my new book. I could sit there and go, okay, I'm going to go write on, write my book. I'll come into my office eight hours later. I'll, I can leave and I can go, oh my goodness, was I busy, but it doesn't seem like I got a lot done on my book. 
what was I doing? And I looked, oh, I was on social media. I was messaging. I was reading emails and responding. And I wrote a little bit of the book because I was busy. But on my calendar, I might say 10 to 11, focus time, writing book. And when I come into the office and I write for that hour of focus time, I can get more done in an hour than six hours of being busy. So for an entrepreneur, you can actually free up time as you get in the habit of having focus instead of just being busy. And it takes discipline. It takes, because it's habit. We're all creatures of habit. So you've got to learn that. And then the fourth phase, I call it the unclutter phase. I know that does not start with an N and it's the second letter of that word, but I, it was the only way I could figure out to get open to work with a word that described what I wanted. <laughs> and so I hope everybody can ha- you know, work with me on that. And the unclutter phase, another name for that is chaos. Have you ever noticed, Sarah, that things can be going well and all of a sudden it's like life slaps you upside the head and you get into a chaotic situation? Heck, the world's in a chaotic situation right now. And most people that are struggling right now in this time is because they're resisting chaos. When if you understand chaos is natural, but if you learn to embrace it, the reason I call it the unclutter phase is because you can actually volunteer for chaos. Meaning in chaos or unclutter phase, you want to destroy something that's not working. This is a time to destroy things. So maybe a business or personal relationship isn't working. Or maybe you've got your desk is covered with stuff, paperwork that you haven't used and should be thrown away, but you keep it on your desk. So you can actually volunteer by, I'll come into my office every couple of weeks and I'll unclutter my office. Going into your closet, getting rid of the clothes that you haven't worn in years, but you're hoping they'll come back eventually into style someday. So they're still (laughs) sitting in your closet, right? And so by volunteering and going in and uncluttering, you can actually make room for the new things. One of the things my friend says that I love, he says, instead of being willing to let live life, courageously allow life to live you. And I hope people get what I just said there. You see, if you think as an entrepreneur, you have control over your life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's a, like, that's a huge <laughs> cosmic joke right there. Right. You only thing you have control over is how you respond to what's coming into your life, your reaction to it. And so if you're willing to courageously allow life to live you and you embrace chaos by volunteering by, and that's why why I will always be clearing my desk off. I'll go to the refrigerator every so often and clean out the food that just shouldn't be in there anymore. I'll clean out the closet. You have to be willing to let go of what's good to get what's great. Be willing to let go of what's great to get what's amazing. And so when you go through the unclutter phase, it puts you back up into the observation phase which will allow you to dream even bigger and set your sights higher for more great things. And those go around and around and around. And that's how the phases work. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like a cycle. You go through the phases and then go back through them again. Yeah. And your, say your personal relationship might be in one phase, but your business can be in a totally different one. And so that's why you want to be able to understand how to identify being in a phase and then what to do while you're in there so you can actually embrace it. Again, I want to put the focus on the pamper phase for people. Entrepreneurs just don't know how to do that or they don't give themselves permission. And you, you have to be actually creative for one and a little bit selfish on this phase. You know, as an example of that, before COVID, when I was flying all over the world, on average, I was flying 200,000 miles a year. And people would say, why are you willing to get on a plane for 10, 12, 14, 16 hours? And one of the reasons is I love teaching people all over the world. Love it. 
But another reason is selfish. You see, Sarah, the moment I sit in the seat in the plane, that's my time. I don't do business. I don't connect to Wi-Fi if the plane has it. I sit down and I read because I love to read. I watch movies because I love movies. I get a little sleep, eat some good food, and drink some great wine. That's what I do for those long trips. Why? Because I know the moment I land in the new country for the next three to five days, I'm on stage for up to 12 hours a day giving, giving, giving. So if I don't take care of me, how can I give to my fullest? Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, most business owners are when they're on a plane, they're working. So to view it as kind of an opportunity to slow down and pamper yourself like you're talking about, read, watch movies and catch up on things that you can't really do when you're working on your business and stuff. So, Right. And in the beginning, I, you know, whatever flight was available, I would take and I'd cram into cattle, I mean, into economy. But at a point I made the decision that with how much flying I was doing, I choose not to fly anything but business class or first class. And yes, it's more expensive, but I'm at the point where when you're flying 200,000 miles a year, economy <laughs> class just isn't for me. And so that's one of the ways I take care of myself. And that's very, very important. And, and even it doesn't matter what stage of business ownership you're in, whether you're just starting, whether you're doing okay, or whether you're amazing at it, you've got to be willing to identify who you are in that business and are you the one having to make it work or are you the one that oversees it and it's working for you? Because again, it comes back to that. You're not really a business owner. You're just a solopreneur, not an entrepreneur. Yeah, and can you go into the the four currencies? Yeah, <laughs> the four currencies. The first one is what everybody thinks of when they hear currency is the currency of money. And what I've researched and found out is that if you have too much money, that's called affluenza. And when you have affluenza, you do stupid things with your money. Too little money is called poverty. And everybody has a zone. And your zone's going to be different than the next person. And your zones will adjust. And so as an example, when I was in my Domino's Pizza, if between my wife and I, we were making less than 40000 a year, we felt the financial stress. That was our kind of poverty level. Because that, now we don't have enough to pay the bills. What are we going to do? Stress, 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 stress. Our affluenza level was about 100000 a year. Anytime we'd get over that, we'd start making investments without properly doing the due diligence. And then we'd be surprised when we'd lose money. It would just be like, ah, I don't have time. Sounds good. Here's the money. And so we were making bad mistakes. As long as we we're in the zone, we we're good. Outside of the zone is where our life was different. So what I was saying is like today, because I like my lifestyle, my current poverty level is about 200,000 a year. If I'm making less than that, I get stressed. And my affluenza level is now about a million a year. If I'm making more than a million a year, also I start, notice I start doing odd things with the money and not properly paying attention and doing my investment, doing my due diligence. So your levels will always adjust with who you are as a person and everybody's is different. So that's the first currency. The second currency is the one currency that we all have the exact same amount of, and that's the currency of time. Too much time on your hand, you're bored. Too little time, you're stressed. And it amazed me when we entered into the COVID generation, how many people, when they're at home, they're going, I'm bored. I got nothing to do. And I'm like, come on over to my place. I'll give you lots to do. I went from flying 200,000 miles a year to zero and I became busier at home because I was in reinvention mode, right? So when you're looking at the currency of time, it's again, are you being busy or are you being productive? You've got to really watch on that currency of time. 
And that's why, again, taking care of yourself and having scheduling your things first is important because it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're not going to be able to buy more time, no matter what. So work, 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 and hoping to have a great life that maybe when you finally get successful, you have your health and have time and, and family left because you haven't you know, worked yourself out of family. That's why you've got to start thinking of it now, especially on time. Third currency is a currency of fame. And what's interesting is fame, you've seen fame ruin people. You see it in the media all the time. And so especially when you become a, a successful entrepreneur, that comes with a level of fame because now you've got success, people are starting to know you more. And the question isn't, how do I become famous? Is how do I maintain that level? And the difference between, and I'll use Hollywood as an example, the actors and actresses that seem to crumble when they get famous versus the ones that seem to be around for decades. What's the difference? Well, it's who they are and how they view that fame. And I love an interview that I saw years ago where Jennifer Lopez was being interviewed. And the person said, you know, JLo, you're a powerhouse in business, singer, dancer, actress, oh my goodness, all these things, and a businesswoman. But you're also a powerhouse in your relationships, your family, the importance of them. How do you keep the two separate? And she said, well, I'm just me. I'm Jennifer Lopez. But when I'm in front of the camera, when I'm doing business, I'm JLo. That's my persona. When I'm at home with family, I'm Jennifer. I'm just Jennifer Lopez. And I went, wow. See, when I'm traveling around the world, Sarah, and I'm in front of thousands of people and I've got assistants taking care of everything for me, I'm Robert Raymond Realpel. That's my brand. That's who I am. But when I come home, I'm just Robert or Rob to my family. And my wife and I have a running joke. You know, I can come home from being overseas for a couple of weeks and I'll come home and she'll go, honey, you're home now. You have no more assistance here. Go take out the garbage. And I love it <laughs> because it keeps me grounded. Can you imagine next week, as an example, we're going camping with family. We love camping. You imagine I sit around the campfire and I'm like, don't you guys know who I am? I'm Robert Raymond Riopelle. So go get me a beer. That's not going to go over very well with family, right? They're going to be like, you know, you're my little brother and I'll give you a new, you get off your high horse. And so with the currency of fame, it's just about knowing that be you. And when things are going well, don't get into the ego. Continue being you. Because to me, that's the greatest gift anybody can give the planet. That's the third currency. And then the fourth currency is the one I choose to spend most of my energy and time on right now. It is a currency of experience. See, and this is a, another one, especially for entrepreneurs, as an example. Entrepreneurs are so far in the future trying to figure out all the what-if scenarios, how everything should look, how everything should go. What if this happens? What if that happens? Or they're so tied in the past. Well, that didn't work. And if I do it again, I'm going to have the same result that they forget to be in the present, the here and now, and experience what's going on in that moment. And then they wonder why. Also, when they do hit success, they look back and they go, what did I do the last 10 years? Why is my health not good? Why is my family, why did I end up, why are my children not talking to me? Why did I get a divorce? I'm successful. But they forgot to be in the moment experiencing the day-to-day. -day. And so that's the one I really focus on. And, and I use a lot of Zen principles on that one where meditation is important and what people a lot of people don't understand because i didn't is that meditation is just simply being present and any time during the day that you're truly present with what you're doing you're actually meditating so one of my goals every day is to see how much i can meditate throughout the day see you and i are talking right now i'm here present 
with you. You're here present with me. We're aware of everything else that's going on, but we're here in this moment right now. So we're actually meditating at the same time, which is kind of cool. Those are the four currencies. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that before as a form of meditation. Wow, that's interesting. When does that book come out? Do you have a release date yet? We're looking probably around the beginning of the year is the goal for it. Oh, okay. If people want to learn more about you, they can go to robertriopel.com. That's R-I-O-P-E-L for the last name and successleftaclue.com. I'll also have show notes with links to everything at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash RRR for your name, Robert Raymond <laughs> Riopel. <laughs> the three R's. Yeah. And, and Sarah, you know, because you were so gracious to have me on as a guest on your podcast, as I would love to, from us to your audience, give them a gift for taking their valuable time to listen, is if they go to the robertriopel.com, they are actually going to be able to download the full digital version of my book, Success Left a Clue, as our gift to them for taking their valuable time. And because time is one of our most precious commodities. And I will tell you, though, it does come with a caveat. And the caveat is this. I didn't write this book for people to read it, put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. That's not why I wrote the book. See, because most people, step number three in the book is taking action. So I wrote this as a, a workbook, meaning there's action steps all the way through. And so don't just read it. I want you to actually do the action steps because if you do, it will change your life. And here's what's going to happen is in the book, you'll come apart where after an action step, it'll say something like, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now, go back, do the action, then continue reading because we know people are creatures of habit. And so I'm going to call them on it. And so I would love for them to go and download it and, and utilize the book and watch how it impacts their life. Awesome. I think I'm going to have to do that myself. Well, I like physical books, so I might actually just order it on Amazon, but and your new book when it comes out as well. So awesome. Well, <laughs> I really appreciate your time today. Oh, my pleasure. And tell you what, Sarah, send me an email and I'll have my team mail you out a hard copy for having me on your podcast. Oh. Oh, well, awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Email me your mailing address. I will make sure we get it in the mail in the next couple of days so that you can, because I love physical books myself as well. And I've never heard it referred to as shelf help, but oh. that's funny. <laughs> shelf help. And that's what most people do. Because unfortunately, the yep. statistic is only 3% of people will actually use the information they've been given. Only 3% oh, in North wow. America. Yeah. And that's why, and they wonder why their lives don't change. You've got to take action. You really do. Thanks, sir. Thanks for having me here. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners. Share your thoughts on episodes. Engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.